0: Good evening. Um, If you turn to page seven, we'll be reading from Matthew and James. Matthew chapter 12. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And from James 3. who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A husband and wife, married for many, many years, were sitting on their front veranda one evening. They were having a glass of wine. She says, I love you with all my heart. I can't imagine life without you. He replies, is that you or the wine talking? She says, quick as a flash, it's me talking to the wine. Or there's the one about the man seen opening the car door for his wife, establishing one of two things, either the car is new or the wife is. Now look, jokes jokes like that, and I'll stop there, you'll be thankful, Um, jokes like these, look they either make us smile, don't they, or they make us wince, but in truth, they tend to worry me a little as well. See, my wife and I, Lauren, have now been married for about 13 years, which, well it's plenty of time for the shine to begin to wear off. And as I I sort of look at couples a little further down the road, I'm not always sure that the going gets much easier. In fact, a former business partner of mine in his latter years used to warn me off retirement. For better or worse, he'd say, but not for lunch. You know, I don't want to be like that. But if I'm honest with myself... I think at the moment, I'm about a 6.5 out of 10 husband. Now, please don't get me wrong, uh, Lauren's kind, my wife, and so I'm sure she'd, well, she'd score me much higher. And it's, it's not that I'm not aiming for 10 out of 10. I, I really genuinely am. It's just that my words let me down. Sometimes, my actions, but it's usually my words. Those idle words those off-the-cuff comments, those reflexive replies when I'm tired or careless and sin creeps in. Uh, Or perhaps it's the tone of my voice or the expression on my face, undoing the actual words that are coming out of my mouth. I love Lauren Heaps and I want to be the husband that she deserves. I want us to uphold the Bible's ideals, uh, its matchless vision for marriage to becoming one. Having Jesus um, at the center of our lives, loving, loving Jesus, sorry, loving each other as Jesus loves the church. The love we hold for each other, if you like, the very expression of Jesus' love for His people. But well, so often, my words let me down. Those unconsidered, ill thought out, careless words that can cause so much damage what I'm going to be calling in the talk this evening, those unbridled words that so often let me down. And as we then turn to today's passage in James uh, chapter 3, I immediately take some measure of comfort, because you read, if you look there, pretty much straight off the bat, uh, there in verse 2, that I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one, it would appear, hurting those I love with undisciplined speech doing harm with lazy words, we all are, James 3.2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When it comes to our speech, we all stumble in many ways. Unbridled words can be so destructive to friendships and families to marriages and to churches, to workplaces and to reputations. So much so that in every chapter of his letter, James returns to the way that we speak to each other, the way our words let us down. But in this central section, in James chapter 3, he goes into vivid detail about the danger of our unbridled words. Uh, See there, my fellow believers, verse 1, we all stumble in this, verse 2, because no human being can tame the tongue, verse 8. These are kind of the bookends. And then in between, well, the text comes to life. It kind of etches itself in our memories with eight vivid, colorful illustrations. Did you catch them all? Uh, there's a congregation and a teacher. There's a horse and a bit. There's a ship and its rudder. There's a great forest fire and a small spark. Wild animals... A poisonous animal, a fountain and a fig tree. Eight illustrations that make three essential points. The power of unbridled words, verses 1 to 5, the danger of unbridled words, verses 6 to 8, and what I'm calling the barometer of unbridled words, verses 9 to 12. The power, the danger, and the barometer of unbridled words. What we're going to do now, we're going to sort of work through the text, looking at each of those briefly in turn. So verses 1 to 5 there, uh, the power of unbridled words. And what do we have here? If you look, we have three illustrations. We imagine an impassioned teacher before a vast congregation. We imagine a tiny bit in the mouth of a snorting stallion. Imagine the rudder of the Queen Mary II. What do they all have in common? Well, something tiny has an impact on something much larger. So, to our tongues, verse 5 so, to our tongues, punch very much above their weight. Stay with those, those images. The godly and humble preacher moves the vast congregation. The noble president inspires the great nation. The plow horse works the field in a neat line. The war horse charges unerringly into battle. The great ship stays her course from dock to destination. So too when our words are carefully considered, like that preacher, properly harnessed, like that horse, carefully directed, like that boat. But what about our unbridled words, our undisciplined words, our ill-thought-out words, sinful, sin-blinded words? What about them? Stay in those images. The harness breaks. The rudder snaps. The speaker gives way to the sin inside him. And we have horses rearing in the air, shipwrecks the Costa Concordia hitting the rocks, and Adolf Hitler and World War II. Listen to him on the power of words, quoting Adolf Hitler. The power which has always started the greatest religious and political avalanches in history has been, from time immemorial, none but the magic power of the word, and that alone. Particularly, the broad masses of the people can be moved only by the power of speech. That's a quote from Adolf Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, his Nazi philosophy, which he wrote in 1925. And do you know what, for every word written in that book, more than 100 lives were lost in World War II. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think not. And of course, we recognize the destruction that the tongue of Adolf Hitler caused. But I don't think we so easily admit uh, to the damage that we do simply by an untimely word, an unfair evaluation or a small slander at work. We let words fall carelessly from our lips and we rarely think twice about them. But in some cases, they too can do damage that lasts a lifetime. See, in this first few verses, James is reminding us that words are powerful for both good and evil. Way back at the beginning of the Bible, God spoke creation into being. And Jesus Christ is described as the very word of God. Words can start movements, they can win souls, they can remind those we love, like like my wife Lauren, how precious she is to me. But when I take the bit out of my mouth, when I take my hand off the rudder, when I allow sinful motives to dictate my speech. Again, we imagine a a champion racehorse is put down for injuring a trainer. A thousand holiday cruisers now rest in a watery grave. A political career, a good reputation, now lies in tatters because of a drunken throwaway line in a bar. As you remember John Brogdon's male order bride taunt about Bob Carr's wife. I think you get the picture. And so James frames up for us the disproportionate power of our speech, with the catastrophic power, if you like, of unbridled words sitting kind of uneasily in the background, but not for long as we move to verses 6 to 8, where the danger of unbridled words is very, very clearly spelled out with another analogy. There, if you have a look, James begins, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. Black Tuesday, 62 people were burnt to death in Hobart in an afternoon. The tongue is like that. A few loose words can be like that. A spark that ignites and spreads. Horses are strong, ships are valuable, and fires provide warmth for a home. But uncontrolled. There's damage, there's loss, there's devastation. An open fire can warm a home. You can toast marshmallows over it. The kids love it. You can gaze into it for hours. But unchecked, It can burn your house down and kill your family. So, too, the words we speak. Verses 5 and 6 again. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. When we speak, every time we open our mouths, according to James, we're literally playing with fire. Martin Luther... The little bit of flesh between the jaws is a concealed and dangerous weapon. Our words can hurt or heal. They can build up or tear down. They can praise or curse. They can guarantee our future or seal our fate. But like Luke, what James is seeking to impress upon us here is their danger in our midst. Verse 2, we all stumble in our speech in many ways. Our words are like a fire in our laps, like concealed and dangerous weapons. And you need to be very careful not to trip up too often with a loaded weapon in your belt. Of course, well, Satan loves unbridled speech, doesn't he? James, in fact, teaches us that unbridled speech is of him. See there, verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Adolf Hitler was one of the most eloquent men of the 20th century. Through James's lens, his words sparked the flames of hell, came directly from hell, and caught his whole body up in the flames of hell, where no doubt one of the hottest is now reserved for him. So be on your guard. Whenever you open your mouth, you're playing with fire. Our words have the potential to set the whole course of our lives up in flames. I read somewhere uh, this week that about nine-tenths of the flames that you will experience in your life will come from your tongue. And isn't that true? And well... (laughs) a tough text, isn't it, Um, as it continues, if you look at it, to make matters worse, it would appear, we're to control the uncontrollable. I've seen whales playing jump rope, skipping, and so have you at SeaWorld and other great aquariums, I'm sure. I've seen African lions cowed into submission by circus performers. I've seen eagles kill their prey and drop it at the feet of their masters. I've even seen a woman obediently kissed on the lips by a deadly cobra," says James, in ancient terms there in verses seven and eight. But I've never seen a man or a woman who, in their own power, could tame the tongue. And unchecked in marriage, or in a friendship, or in a church community, it's a restless evil, Satan's spawn. A traitorous, poisonous viper sitting coiled there in your lap, waiting for you to drop your guard. James' language couldn't be much stronger, could it? So we have the power of unbridled words, the perilous danger of unbridled words. And then finally, with James's illustrations of that fig tree and the fountain, or the fountain and the fig tree, we have the barometer of unbridled words. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, basically, I mean that our speaking, especially in those unguarded moments, is kind of a barometer, if you like, kind of a gauge, kind of a window into our whole spiritual life. As James says, and I've referred to it a few times there in verse 2, those who keep their speech in check are also able to keep their whole bodies in check. And so what we say in those moments in which we let down our guard is, in fact, really insightful into us as people. Now, for James, it's the rhetorical questions of verses 11 and 12. Um, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Obviously, the implied answer is no. Uh, My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Well, no. What's inside of us comes out of us, right? And with that last illustration, he's borrowing from Jesus. who said that, well, a tree is known by its fruit. So too, you'll be known, not so much by what you say when you have your act together, but by what you let slip in those unguarded moments, when you're tired or angry or or under pressure. In fact, very often our words say more about us uh, in those moments than about others. I wonder what do the words that you've said in haste this week reveal about you? Because they're the unbridled words are so often a barometer of where our hearts are really at, so the graphically and unmistakably, James places before our eyes the power and danger and the barometer of unbridled words—the um, words that leave all of our mouths. They're so powerful for good and for evil. They're so dangerous, like playing with matches in a fireworks factory. They're so insightful. Such a barometer as to what's really going on deep down in our hearts. So then what's what's our response? How do we respond to this text? How do we appropriate this and sort of bring it into our lives? And look, I don't want to do all the work, but I, I had four brief thoughts on how we might respond uh, to this passage in order to get us thinking. Uh, now, James has made sort of, he's got eight illustrations, I think making three essential points. and So now I'm going to sort of work out four maybe implications uh, to help us begin to receive this um, it's teaching into our lives. So here's four brief thoughts for you. And the first one is, let's, let's be quick to, th- to listen and slow to speak. And the second one I'm going to talk about is um, an encouragement just simply to stop saying bad things about other people. Then I'm going to share with you a couple of words on grace and forgiveness. And then finally, a favourite memory verse of mine from Proverbs 15, 23. So four brief thoughts uh, of how we might uh, begin to apply some of these um, pretty heavy teaching from James and take it into our lives. Now look, in the year 2006, um, a little while ago now, a lady by the name of Luanne Brizendine, uh, from the University of California, uh, she published a book called *The Female Brain*, and in it, uh, she made the somewhat dubious claim that, uh, statistically speaking, women use twenty thousand words a day. And then, well, apparently, according to her, only seven thousand words. But very quickly, women began to argue right back that that's because men need to be told something three times before women can be sure that it's gone in. Now look, that research, by the way, has been apparently debunked, 16,000, 16,000, but you see the problems, right? Problems that listening well and being slow to speak fix which, if you remember, James points out to us at the very beginning of his letter there. Um, So firstly, dear brothers, 1.19, my first sort of thought in terms of applying this is, uh, there James says, look, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. If unbridled words are so dangerous, well, firstly, be quick to listen and slow to speak. A highly experienced salesman uh, once gave me his best sales tip. At that point, I was all ears. He said, God gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them in that ratio. Firstly, be quick to listen and slow to speak. My second thought is this. uh, Don't say bad things about other people. Simply refuse to. Don't cast dispersions. Don't undermine. Don't repeat unflattering things that you may have heard. Never tear others down in your speech. Come out of your mouths. Ephesians 4.28 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it makes about other people. That, in fact, don't undermine his famous book, "How to Innuitate." Don't pay people out. Don't cut people down. Not ever. If you hear a couple of weeks ago, uh, I mentioned uh, quite briefly, actually, in a sermon, that my uncle had passed away uh, rather suddenly. That was only—it was only a brief mention, and I, I didn't really open up about it uh, because, in truth, it was—it well, was a confusing time for me. You see, he'd withdrawn himself from our family for more than a decade. We hardly knew him. He wasn't a Christian. And well, my mum, who loves the Lord, um, was really distraught. At his funeral, his friends were equally overcome, uh, already missing him terribly. But I had to search my heart for grief. Now, My uncle was spoken well of at his funeral. He was a good neighbour and a good friend but all I could really remember of him was a comment he'd made to me when I was 10 or 11. He was leaving after a rare visit, and it was 5 o'clock in the morning or so, and I was up early to do my paper run. And he made some comment to an impressionable young boy about me being up and on my feet, but still asleep. Just an offhand comment, just a throwaway line that coloured the way I thought and felt about him ever since. He could have patted me on the head and congratulated me for getting up early to work hard, just like the farmer that he was. But instead, a few unthinking words to a young boy now follow him beyond his grave. How many words have I said like that down throughout the years? Words that hurt. Opportunities to build up. In which I've torn down. Careless words can do great damage. So don't say bad things about other people. Simply refuse to. And look, thir- thirdly, um, just a brief thought here on grace and forgiveness. And you see, at this point, I think it's a good idea just to come up uh, for air for a moment. Um, you know, James is a difficult book, uh, and this. Passage is certainly a heavy word to sit under. See, James is a straight shooter, and this passage is throwing quite a few stones. And I, for one, certainly, as I sort of, you know, meditated over this passage this week, I took a bit of a pummeling uh, as I reflected over my patterns of speech. Perhaps you're feeling the same way. Uh, look, that's it's classic James. Um, but you know, I love that story about James's brother Jesus. It's in John eight. And you might remember that when the Pharisees sort of thrust in front of Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And do you remember what Jesus says to them at that moment? He says, he who has never sinned, cast the first stone. And then one by one, they begin to go away. The older ones first, until only Jesus is left. Jesus, the only one of us to have never sinned in his speech, well, he doesn't condemn her either. You know, if we've put our trust in him, if we've asked for his forgiveness and appropriated what he did for us on the cross through faith, then we too don't need to live in guilt for all those words. We've been completely and entirely and eternally forgiven for every sinful word that has ever passed our lips. Look, that's the grace of God Part of my thought and now to the forgiveness part we need to forgive others when their words let them down too. forgive as the Lord Jesus forgave you we've been forgiven much so that we can love much so it's important that our love covers over a multitude of sins do to others as Christ has done for you as you would have others do to you when it comes to placed words let's let's forgive others when their words let them down which sort of prompts us to ask who is it that we haven't quite forgiven for words said in haste for careless words that no doubt they now regret but that we quite haven't quite managed to to sort of um, forgive them for. Look, finally, my final thought. Um, and I think it's important to end on a high note. Uh, I love that verse in Proverbs turned around three. Uh, I'm quoting from the NAV 1994 that the 2011, it's the same sense. It's just turned around a bit. And I prefer the older version, but um, it's this one: Proverbs 15:23: "A word in season, how good it is." And surely this passage in James is a reminder to us not to waste a single word. The right word in the right moment can change the course of someone's life forever. Words are so powerful. As I said earlier, God spoke creation into being. To speak friendship into being. To speak love into being. To speak the wonders of God and bring new faith into being. Every word that passes our lips is such an opportunity to encourage to build up, to nurture, to reassure. Our words can brighten lives, even tonight. They can deepen friendships over dinner. They can shore up shaky foundations. They can bring wisdom, light, and love into dark places. Do you speak like that? How can we all speak more like that? Who needs to hear you speaking like that right now? What's stopping you? Stopping you making the most of every single word, every single text message, every single prayer. Empty words are a tragedy of missed opportunity. But a word in season, how good it is. So let's not waste a single one of them. How would I pray over some of these things? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for words for their power, their beauty, and the fact that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through them. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the words of eternal life. May we never keep them in. But as we meditate over this text, please forgive us, Lord, for the wrong words we've spoken, the careless words, the sinful words, the unthinking words we speak in haste and instantly regret as they leave their mark on people we love. Give us the opportunities and the courage we need to make amends. And thank you for the forgiveness that's housed in Jesus. No sin too great to lay unforgiven at the foot of his cross. Please make us increasingly like him in the way we speak and help us to recognize the power and the danger of the words we speak so that we would not waste a single one of them. In Jesus' name we pray.